All right. Roller on the barrel. Historic baseball podcast. You know what we do around this place? I don't know if you've heard, but generally speaking, what usually happens 98.7% of the time, if you really break it down, uh, we talk to people in the vintage baseball community, whether it's uh, ball players or people who are the the brains behind the brawn of starting a vintage baseball club or an author or famer, former baseball players. Uh, we've had, we've interviewed, you know, teachers, authors, you know, we try to bring you everything. I think we, I think we've done a pretty good job bringing you just about everything you can in the vintage baseball community for content. Well, we had, uh, uh, we had a guest lined up, but as you know, in the, in the world, uh, people have lives and things happen. And speaking of people having lives, Rudy Frias isn't here. So welcome my co-host tonight, uh, <laughs> Jeff Cougar Kozleski. Jeff, how you doing? Oh, I'm I'm great. Filling in for some some big shoes here, but I was ready to ready to talk baseball. But you know, like you said, life gets in the way sometimes. So we'll uh we'll we'll do something. Let's let's do something. Let's do something. Uh, filling in, sure. And then next year, you're like full-time host as you, Rudy, and myself are, are just swapping out. And there'll be two of us three every week. But start next year, I'm going to get a Monday off here and there. It's going to be fantastic. Hey, got <laughs> You've earned it. You've earned it, my friend. Take a, take a Monday off. Take Three-day weekend. Take a Monday off. Uh, oh, uh, so speaking of taking, I was just thinking, you said take a Monday off. I was thinking the only thing I'd want a Monday off for is the Miami Dolphins on Monday night football. But then, uh, so Jeff and I, uh, we both work extracurricular activities wise in a Halloween situation in Michigan. And they're really close to each other actually. But, uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to tell you about our current Halloween life and how you, uh, listeners in the Michigan area, and if you want to come from Ohio or Arizona or wherever, you can go ahead and uh, do some business with uh, these organizations that have Halloween festivities going on. But I was just... Uh, hearkening back to when I was talking to Mike Feeney, capital of the Canton Cornchuckers, about my availability for this coming weekend because I am an actor at the Genius. the deranged haunt owned by Mike Feeney. And uh, I told him I would come down on Sunday if it was an emergency. And then I had to backtrack on that because the mighty Miami Dolphins play the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday night. And although I love Halloween, uh, there's nothing, including my children, more important than the Miami Dolphins to me. And that's just the way it is. Have you, have you ever explained why you have such a fascination? Because it's all over your social media. Whenever the Dolphins win or anytime there's major Dolphins news, like you're, you're, on, you're my Dolphins guy. Well, Jeff, it's very simple. When I was a young man of the age of what must have been 11, 
10 or 11, uh, I started watching football. And the first, I remember one of the first football games I ever watched, actually watched, was the Super Bowl between the 49ers and the Cincinnati Bengals the first time when Ken Anderson was the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. I believe that was in Mm -hmm. Pontiac. I believe that was at the Silverdome. That was at the Silverdome, yeah. And uh, so around that time, uh, I, for some reason, gravitated to the Minnesota Vikings, and Sammy White was a wide receiver for the my Minnesota Vikings alongside Ahmad Rashad. And for some reason, uh, I think it's because we went to a store and they had a Minnesota Vikings helmet. And so I got a Vikings helmet, and then I ended up getting a Sammy White jersey for a Christmas present. And so there I was. But that only lasted a year. Because every Saturday I started watching college football. I did not, I was not a big uh, Michigan State slappy at that point like I am now. And uh, so I just watched, I just watched whatever games were on TV, I watched. And there was a young man by the name of Dan Marino that the uh, football channels at the time, this is before Fox, uh, couldn't get enough of. So every weekend, I saw Notre Dame football, and I saw University of Pennsylvania, Pitt. Uh, I saw Pitt football every weekend. And when they played each other, oh, my God, the craziness. And uh, he just dominated. He was just the best player on the field every Saturday, and you could tell. And I was like, well, you know, I was impressionable. Whatever team drafted him, that's where I was going. So it had nothing to do with the Miami Dolphins. It had everything to do with Dan Marino. And he got passed over by many teams, because, like, including the New York Jets and the Kansas City Chiefs, because they thought he had an attitude problem. So Ken O'Brien and Todd Blackledge have gone down in history as great, great quarterbacks right now. And uh, so I went to the Miami Dolphins, and he took us to the playoffs just about every year. Just not got over, just didn't get over. It didn't hurt that in his first full year as a quarterback, he got to the Super Bowl against Montana. So then, hook, line, mm-hmm. and sinker, I'm all in at that point. I'm like, oh, I can't believe all the Super Bowls I'm going to end up going to, you know, watching him in. <laughs> no, never again. And it's been a true Lions fan experience. I'll tell you that. My life, my life so as you- a Dolphins fan. So you so you got all in on on Dan Marino despite his clear lack of ability with regard to holding the football for kickers. Because if there's anything <laughs> we know about Dan Marino, he wow. doesn't know which way to put the laces on a field goal. That was the kicker's opinion. Watch the watch the tape, Jeff. If you watch, go back and watch the tape. Those laces are out. That was just a choke job <laughs> by the kicker. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Settle this one for me, because I got a, I got a couple of friends that say in sports the most important thing, and maybe those of us, if you're listening to this and want to weigh in on the social media outlet, that the most important thing for any athlete is winning championships, and so therefore, Trent Dilfer is a greater quarterback than Dan Marino. Uh, my opinion on that is those people's opinions don't matter. I listen to the people who it does matter. Joe Montana will tell you that Dan Marino is the best quarterback to ever play. 
if Joe Montana says that, I'm going to believe that he's the second best quarterback to ever play because Joe Montana has the championships. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, and uh, Joe Montana was a, a very cerebral and very talented quarterback. So, so Montana can go ahead and put Marino ahead of him, but he's not going to not put him ahead of him. Why would he even be bringing it up? So Dan Marino's got it. Uh, so I would say the championships do matter, but not a lot. Like, let me ask you this. If Joe Montana won zero Super Bowls and Dan Marino won zero Super Bowls, who's the better quarterback? Ooh. That's a good question. I'd, I'd start looking at, like, what kind of tools do they have around him? Like, why didn't Joe Mont did Joe Montana choke? You know, getting in there because those Niners teams were good. Like, what did they fall apart because of Joe Montana's lack of ability? I don't know. I think on the surface, though, I think uh, Dan Marino, he's got the stats behind him. I would say it's not even close. I would say it's Dan Marino by a landslide. You only think of Montana because of championships, but Marino's always in that conversation, and he doesn't have any. So I think that's what – but I will say this about Dan Marino. He would not allow them to have a running game. That's his fault. Whenever people say that, oh, if Dan Marino had a running game, he'd have won five Super Bowls. It was his fault. Okay, that's his call. He wanted to just throw the ball all over the field, and he would check out a running plays. He he – just he did not have the best attitude. I mean, they had it right in the draft, not the best attitude, but he uh, he did all right for himself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway. So anyway. <laughs> Halloween. I, I digress. Uh, Jeff, tell. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. We've been recording for ten minutes. We haven't talked about vintage baseball. Guess what? We're not. So you <laughs> you guys can turn it off now. Uh, if you're looking for that, because we're going to be talking deranged hunt and Greenfield village. Uh, I don't even know what they call it, but Jeff's about to give you the lowdown on everything they do. Halloween wise at the village. Yeah. So we have a, at, at the Henry Ford, we have our, our month, our monthly October Halloween program. It runs every Thursday through Sunday for four weekends in October and we basically convert all of Greenfield Village into one big giant Halloween experience, big multifaceted experience. And you go all over the village and there are different shows, there are different things that are are taking place. We have everything from storytelling to actors to singers to the reenacting of famous, you know, scenes and plays and stories and so it's it's just everywhere you turn they, we you the old buildings that you see during the day are then converted into something else uh over the course of the over the course of the program so among other things you could see you know the there's a segment dedicated to alice in wonderland there's a sequence dedicated to the wizard of oz where we have people dressed as uh, the Wicked Witch of the West and Dorothy. We have uh, singers. We have our carousel is is done up. We have a cemetery made up. 
we have the singing pumpkins in front of the Noah Webster house. Um, we have scarecrows that'll jump out at you. The, the woman in white, the, which is a story that we've kind of crafted among the village, but a, a woman with a, you know, with her husband, uh, you know, died on their wedding day and now she is, you know, doomed to search for him for all of eternity and pirates. And, but the big one is the headless horseman. That's, that's a must see, uh, to see, you know, this giant headless horseman figure riding his horse through the Firestone farmland, chasing after Ichabod Crane. It's, uh, the, the segments and the show portions that we have are, are really something. And, uh, and what part do you play in all of this, Jeff? Well, I thought you'd never ask. So in the, uh, <laughs> uh, in the, over in the back in where Walnut Grove is and where our fields uh, are located, the, uh, the, the ghosts of the La-dee-dahs come out uh, every time the, uh, the train goes by. So we have a train ride that takes, uh, it takes passengers a full lap around the village, just as it, as it always does. Only this time they're seeing special Halloween themed, uh, you know, elements all through the village there. And so when you Walnut Grove, uh, the Ladidas, you know, emerge from the darkness and we play a little, play a little pepper. We hit, hit fly balls to each other. We play catch all with our big, bright green floating baseball, which, uh, if you like the, the Ladidas and Nationals Instagram page, there's some really good pictures of, of it, uh, on there. But yeah, the, uh, the Ladidas come out. We got some, you know, really good lighting effects to come out and really make us, uh, make us stick out and make us stand out here. So it's, it's a lot of fun to do. Uh, when you hit a, you hit a long fly ball and here's just this, this green dot goes into the sky and you hear the oohs and the ahs coming from the train. Like, you know, we, if, if this was during the day, you'd go, Oh, fly out to center. But when it's in the darkness, <laughs> Oh, now it's something. Uh, it's funny, the train makes play stop most of the season, and then Halloween comes, and that's when the play starts. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't stop and wave to the flag on Halloween. That's actually our signal to start playing. So yeah, it's quite the opposite. We're not used to not used to uh, playing when the train goes by. Uh, but you can see pictures all over social media of you guys and. Uh, and all that stuff. And it, it uh, seems I've never, I've never gone. Uh, the wife always wants to go and, uh, it's just something we've never done, but, uh, I didn't exactly know what it was either. And you guys have a lot of sets and scenes set up and you have Thomas Edison's last breath and test tube there. And you got, uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's some big Halloween, uh, extravaganza set up around that, that test tube of the last breath of Thomas Edison. Google it. If you don't believe me, <laughs> Jeff will tell you it's not there, but Google says it is. So Google must be, I will right. tell you it's not there. I will continue to tell you that it's not there. Is, yes, that is correct there. Let me ask you this. What's nice about it. Though, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Is there a test tube, an empty test tube in the Thomas Edison area that used to hold his last breath? No, there was never a test tube that ever held his last breath. <laughs> is there a so test tube? Okay. Is there a test tube 
at the Henry Ford anywhere that holds anybody's last breath. <laughs> All right, look, here's what happened. <laughs> so so for for those who are not familiar with the Henry Ford, Henry Ford and Thomas Edison had a very strong relationship with one another. Henry Ford looked at Edison very much as like almost like a mentor kind of role. Uh, Ford saw Edison as like somebody who made something for the general masses. Now, feelings are not with regard to Tesla that that part we're going to put for a different argument for a different day. But the, uh, but, uh, you know, Ford's very much saw in Edison. Ford's one of Ford's first major industry jobs was working at one of Edison's, um, illuminating station. So basically a power station. And so there was a party in Detroit and Edison was there. Ford got invited and he had just, where he was in the process of building his first car and Edison just peppered him with questions. Just peppered him with it. How does it work? How do you do this? How do you do that? Ford had an answer for everything. And finally Edison said, that's it. You've got it. Now stick with it. And Ford kind of looked at that as like, that's the moment that where he became like, wow, this could work. And Thomas Edison kind of motivated me to do it. Anyway, well, fast forward, Edison dies. Um, so in Edison's room, there was a set of test tubes, just regular test tubes, because Edison is a, is a chemist. The amount of tests that he has to do, he's got bottles and chemicals all over the place. Um, when Edison passed, the story goes that Edison's kids sealed up the test tubes and sent the test tubes to people that uh, had a good relationship with with their dad. And Henry Ford was one of the uh, keepers of that particular test tube. Fast forward, 1947, Ford dies. 1950, his wife dies. And so they're they're kind of clearing up the house. They find this test tube. Somebody says, oh, yeah, Thomas Edison's last breath is in it, as opposed to what it should have been, which is a test tube that was in the room where Thomas Edison died. But because it, it sounds so macabre to uh, to say, you know, it's his last breath in a tube, then that's kind of how it came to be. But yeah, it's I don't think it's specifically advertised as that anymore because it used to be advertised as that. But I know the the curators would feel much better if I said that it was not actually his last breath. Yeah, I'm looking at the fact that Henry Ford asked for his last <laughs> breath because he thought uh -huh. his soul would leave through the last breath and that he could somehow one day resurrect him with that last breath. Or he just wanted the final memento. So so is there a question of whether Henry Ford requested it? Um that I don't know. What I from the most that I've been able to gather from it is these were test tubes that were sent to friends and family uh, as a memento as a thank you. I don't know if because Henry Ford used to go and wave on things like there were times where he was really into something and then he really wasn't and then he would he, he was for a while really into eating only orange food and then he got off that for a while and there was talk that for at one point he was into you know resurrections and you know having a bit of somebody's you know akin to doing that i don't know if it's like the the episode of the big bang theory where 
Sheldon gets the napkin used by Leonard Nimoy and he swears all he, all he needs is a healthy ovum and he can grow his own Leonard Nimoy. I don't know if it's Henry Ford wants to grow Thomas Edison in the, you know, the back of Fairlane, but uh, yeah, there, that is a story that he believed in it for a little while. Uh, apparently uh, Ford received eight test tubes and it magically grew into 42. And that's what went on display. Uh, I've gone through the t- right now. There's only one. <laughs> there's only one. And does it say it's his last it's breath? Museum, does it, does it say it contained his last breath? Um, they, they've changed the signage around the last time I remember the signage and they were trying to get away from the last breath thing. I think now the signage says last breath with quotation marks around it. Cause when I, when I started there, I was a presenter. We would get that question all the time. Where's the Lincoln chair? Where's the Kennedy car? Where's Edison's last breath? And that, that was the big three things. So I was uh, looking I think they for... finally just kind of caved in. I looked all over the place for Edison's last breath and I, I couldn't find it. Is that in the, is it yeah, in the museum the... or is it in his workshop? It's in the museum. Oh. It's in the made in America section. Uh, in the area behind behind all the big machines, there's a like a display kind of in the middle. It's got a it says like Tesla's death mask. It has a a big Edison kind of clay bust of him, and then there's this very innocuous little test tube, and that's the one. All right. Well, I didn't go to the museum. I stuck outside this time uh, for the one day I showed up at the Worlds. I did uh, nothing but outside stuff. But next year, uh, when we're doing full coverage of the World's Tournament, oh, Jeff, by the way, you uh, you don't have any time off that weekend. You got to play and you got to <laughs> so. Well, I probably got the 8 a.m. game like I always do. So. And uh, we'll probably try to get uh, another person on board because you and Rudy both will be playing, and I don't feel like talking nonstop for two days. I'm just not that interesting, people. I know it. <laughs> it's a great I, weekend. I got no problem. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So if you um, – it's very kid-friendly, I would assume, and I, I don't even know, but, Jeff, the, the Halloween experience – at the Henry Ford is kid friendly, yes. Yeah, no blood, no chainsaws, you know, nothing. The the scariest part is, um, you know, if you are if you're on the train, you might see Bigfoot, um, and he might kind of like just stand around and growl at you. I'm not going to tell you where. I'm not going to tell you how loud. I'm not going to tell you exactly at what point in the train he jumps at you. But there's Bigfoot, and if you're kind of into more of the psychological. Uh, the woman in white can be rather unsettling, as is the uh, the Ackley covered bridge. Uh, we have like kind of cloth covering it and fog machines and lasers, and so it's like you it's like you feel like somebody is going to jump out at you. But it's like I said, it's more psychological, if anything. But and and or if you're scared of the headless horseman, but the headless horseman never comes anywhere near you. But otherwise it is, it is good, clean family fun all the way around. And, uh, so I assume you can go to the website and, uh, and buy your tickets in advance or show up and buy them. Uh, Jeff, give them all that information. 
Well, uh, unfortunately, the, the show is sold out. So if you have not bought your tickets, uh, wait till next year. Um, whoa, 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 they, whoa. Uh, how, how many days a week is this thing? It is four days a week for four weeks, so 16 days total. And it's sold out. And when did it sell out? Uh, tickets went on sale at the end of August. Uh, I, I want to say at like 9, 9.30 in the morning or so. I got to the ticket office uh, at the Welcome Center, right where, where you come in to see the, the movies, at about 2 o'clock. And uh, three of the four Saturdays were already totally sold out. So this this event is crazy popular. It has crashed the servers several times in the past. So it's one of those deals where, you know, when you first hear about it, I, I always tell my friends, like, have a, have a day and have a backup day. That way, you know, if you've got one, if you don't get one, you at least have the other. So Thursdays and Fridays tend to be a little more open. Saturdays sell out real fast. So we just talked you all into getting excited about going, and you can't. <laughs> and I can't even sell you more tickets. I'm sorry. Where in the parking lot do the scalpers hang out? <laughs> we, we, believe it or not, it, it has been an issue. that People would buy tickets, and they would utilize the various Facebook pages. And say like, hey, I got four tickets. Anybody want them? And you know, for people that would hang outside. So, if they're hanging out anywhere, they it's probably outside the gift shop. All right. So now you have plenty of notice. There's only a couple of weeks left of the ho- Halloween season, but now you have a year in advance notice to uh, get your or, tickets. Or for those of you, or for those in the in the Christmas spirit. Uh, the holiday nights uh, program that those tickets go on sale in about a week and a half, and those also sell out very fast. I'm sure it's not as good as Halloween, though. Uh, <laughs> it's is it is there a bigfoot? Is there a bigfoot in the woods on Christmas? <laughs> is there no, anything? no, Nothing? there there's there's no bigfoot, no Sasquatch. You know, no, it's. It's all kinds of good, clean family Christmas fun. Great. Uh, sounds great. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> uh, book your holiday, your Christmas experience at, at the Henry Ford Museum and uh, check out uh, the house of the future that never took off the ground. And, and also, of course, uh, let me plug the deranged haunt that Mike Feeney, captain of the Canton Corn Shuckers, uh, owns he started a haunt in his yard when he was younger he's still young uh but uh boy over 10 years ago maybe he was just setting up a haunt in his yard on halloween night one night only and people from the neighborhood would come through the the haunt at in his backyard and then it grew to his garage and then it grew to the front yard garage and backyard and then his dad told him get the hell out of here with this because these guys are ruining my grass and, and, and uh, his parents, by the way, they, they're so cool. They just, they, they are. They're great people if you've ever met Mike Feeney's parents. And uh, so they probably put up with a lot 
before it was time to tell him, okay, that's it. We're done. And, and they still work. So he, he found some land and he built a bunch of sets and his parents worked the parking lot. So, you know, they couldn't have been that mad. And, uh, but him and a group of his friends, they, they've got these five acres and they built a bunch of sets and, and Jeff's been to it and it changes every year. Uh, Mm-hmm. And uh, this year they they really went they were working on it. Uh, the gentleman that builds a lot of these must have been working on it all summer because it's amazing what they do in such a small area. You feel like you're in a big area and you are not. And uh, right. And it's uh it's scary and it's funny and it, you get everything out of a haunt. It's an outdoor haunted trail. And I think you get everything uh, you could want out of it and more. And I act in it. And I'm not telling you what I do. And uh, I'm having the time of my life. Uh, just like vintage baseball, I wish I would have found I wish I would have found it sooner in life. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> I'll just do what I can. But uh, Jeff, tell everybody your experience of going through this haunt. So, um for those who know me, I, uh, my wife and I, you know, we have our, our daughter, our six-year-old, uh, but we also host foreign exchange students. We've hosted a, a girl we have now is the fourth girl that we've had. Um, so the last time we went uh, would have been 21, fall of 21. And uh, we had a girl from Thailand and a girl from Italy and a, few of their friends so i was like the chaperone and uh, they kind of wanted to do it because like halloween kind of sort of exists in other countries but not like there's no american halloween quite like america's halloween like everywhere else it's like oh yeah maybe do a little trick-or-treating here and there but like we just we go nuts here in the united states and so we told them like yeah you really should go to a haunted house and they're like, oh, okay, do you know one? And I went, oh, I know one. <laughs> oh, I and so, you know, I, 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 told, I told Mike we were going to be there, and he greeted us, and, um, you know, he, he hooked us up 100%. And, I mean, I, I'm happy to give business to a friend and, um, you know, plug, plug his business and help him out any way he can. You know, but he, he and his team, like, they, they put so much – Efforts. They are always looking for new and different things uh, as far as ways to do it. You know, Farrell, you mentioned about how they're always changing it. So you feel like even if you went last year, you come again this year, like, well, it's not like you go to the same one and, you know, like I remember last year, the scarecrow was around that corner and poof, there he is. Like, no, man, it's, it's a totally different set. It's like, you know, everything from, you know, the circus, because I think the one I went, it was the circus was the new one. Um, yeah, it, they, he changes it completely up and is always looking for new things to do. And so it's it's a blast. It was it was definitely was a, a lot of fun. And also in the same year, it's different if you went more than once in in the way that he has a lot of different actors and they don't all work in the same area every time they work so so i can say on friday the 13th i was given the pleasurable task of being jason Voorhees, and i got to stalk everybody 
and had the, uh, I tell you, it's, you know, when you're a little boy and you're in the backyard and you're practicing of, oh, how I could be Jason Voorhees. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, hit a game winning grand slam. <laughs> is it, is it, what? Uh, you know, you practice both of them. Anyway, uh, I had the time of my life. And that meant that I was not in my usual station. So there was a different actor in my station. And then the next night I went to my usual station. But everybody has creative freedom to do whatever they want with their scene. It's not like uh, they say, okay, this guy last night did this, this, and this, and this. So just do that. They don't do that. It's, it's, we want you to look somewhat like this. Here's costumes we provide, or you can put something together as long as we, they approve it. And, uh, you know, just do your best out there, do whatever you want. And so I will tell you that the way I do my area is completely different than the way anybody else does the area. And so if you went through on a Friday and a Saturday night, you're going through two different things because all the actors are different and they're all doing something different in their areas. And, uh, so yeah, so that's unique too. Do you get to see the other people doing their thing? Like, is there a chance like you can, I kind of like actually see it live. I mean, I know you're working, but is there a way that like, you know, you get in early and like, show me how you do it. And I'm just curious like that kind of thing. Uh, I saw it live last year once, uh, I went there with my daughter and I had this brilliant idea of how I was going to podcast there, but I was going to talk to people as they came out of the hunt. I did not account for the fact that they were all going to run past me because they're so scared and just yeah. run to their car and yeah. drive away and leave. And I'm like, I didn't get to talk to that many people. So that kind of bombed. But uh, but I did get to go through it that night, and I, and I fell in love. And I asked him uh, if I could just come back the following week and just do it once, just to have the experience of trying to scare people. I have no idea if I'm good at that kind of thing or not. But I just wanted to do it once. And I just happened to have a character that I bring out on Halloween once in a while uh, that gets a lot of, uh, creepy buzz. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to try this there. And, uh, I did a walk through to see how everybody was doing with my daughter. I went through and saw, and, uh, yeah, that was crazy. And, uh, I got scared in a couple of spots and, uh, I, yeah, I fell in love. So it's great. I haven't gone, I haven't been able to go through and see, anything but you can actually go uh on youtube uh i'll tell you that because the very first night they did a media night this year so you can go to the deranged haunt on youtube and there was a walkthrough this tv crew showed up and did a a walkthrough i don't know if they're a podcast or or whatever they are but they actually went through and showed every scene uh with with an actor there working so, uh, that's the only thing I've seen from this year. Uh, so I haven't seen, uh, new actors takes on certain areas and stuff like that, but I do hear the screams every night. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you find it's like, 
because I, I noticed like with the episodes that I've listened to and have been you know gracious enough to have been invited to be on that like there are certain trends that I start to notice like the, there's the people that they like to play vintage baseball because it's the idea of being in a uniform and kind of becoming something different. And then you get some of the guys, not to mention Mike Feeney again, but I know there are others as well that are really into pro wrestling. And, you know, now that you've got, you know, the haunts and the idea of being in a costume, like what is the, what is the commonality here of vintage baseball pro wrestling and working in haunts and putting on a putting on a uniform and doing this i think it's it's all to me and i'm not an actor but it's all acting it's getting away from your everyday mundane nine to five groundhog day kind of life and it's as close as you can be to being somebody else not that there's anything wrong with who we all are but you kind of get to let go. And when you can let go and play baseball for a day uh, or be a pro wrestler, which I'm not, uh, but, but uh, or it's all stories. The haunt, it's all stories. And you can let yourself go in a story, be somebody else for a little while, and immerse yourself in that story. And, it, and it's like... Jeff, you remember the movie Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger when they implant a vacation into his brain? It's only- uh, my my knowledge of action movies doesn't go much beyond Die Hard. It's the same same era. Anyway, <laughs> so so in order to take a vacation back then, you could just go to this place and they didn't they didn't plant memories into your mind. Like you went on vacation, but you didn't actually go anywhere or miss any work or anything, but it was like you were on vacation. So you got to pick where you went on vacation and who you went with and things that happened and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. It's just like a vacation. Every time I would play vintage baseball because I only thought about baseball and in the good times and in the bad, it was still only baseball during during the game and then you you pop back into life at the end and i feel the same way you know when i had the jason Voorhees mask on i i wasn't worried about anything except stalking people (laughs) and uh uh, yeah. You got this like nice sentimental feeling of like you know you just get to escape for a little bit and be you know a splasher and you know when you watch pro wrestling, it's a male soap opera. Why do women watch soap operas? Same reason men watch pro wrestling. It's the same thing. The storyline. And uh, I mean, how? Why do you? Uh, you're different than than some or most because you're so held heavily involved in history. So when you're taking the baseball field, it's not this for the same reasons I'm taking it. It's because you're wrapped up in the history of it as well as the competitiveness, which anybody can get wrapped up in. But uh, what's it like for you? Why do you play vintage baseball? Um, you know, I, I, I feel like the, like the tactile learning, the, the aspect of, you know, having respect for the, the everyday people that came before us that kind of 
blazed the trail for where we are now to be able to bring that back as as accurately as we can um it, it'll it'll never be perfect doesn't matter where you are or you know what year you play what it will never be perfect it'll never be exactly the way um but you know i i love i i guess there there definitely is a part of me that does love to put on the uniform and to also kind of forget who i am for those two two and a half hours and you know have have some kid hold up a program and a pen and uh you know say here you're you know, can I have your autograph? And I just kind of look at me like, kid, I'm a teacher. <laughs> I'm nothing. Like, what? And, but you know, what to that kid? I'm, I'm more than that. So to be able to kind of become a little bit more than you know who you are, um, you know, it's a nice reminder that you know you, you're never too old. You know, you're never too out of shape. You're, you're never too this. You're never too that. Like, there's always there's always something that brings people in and. I think you can't discount that ability to, you know, to, to bring something new and different to life to somebody that's never had it before. Right. So, yeah, it's a, uh, it's the thrill that you get and the thrill that you can give. And, uh, it's a very selfish, unselfish thing that we do in vintage baseball <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and, uh, and all the other things as well. So I'm glad we talked a little vintage baseball to uh, for the people that have hung on listening this long. So they got a little bit, uh, but you know what? You don't want us doing the same old, same old questions every week. All, you know, we're in season four. (laughs) We've done 230 episodes. Uh, (laughs) So, that that said, Jonathan McLean is uh, is waiting in the wings for his news break, and he's like, "Poor poor guy was like, I thought the show was going to be fifteen minutes." Like, uh, now let me ask uh, you, as Jonathan McLean's agent, does he want to do it or does he want to hold it for our guests that will be on the show eventually? Um, he's he's chomping at the bit, and he's he's got reporters truly all over the country. Um, that he'd be more than happy to bring in some some news course. Plus, we got a we got a brand new sponsor uh, this week, so uh, it would be it would be doing them a disservice uh, if we if we did not include them. So I think a, a quick little news break would would probably keep Jonathan McLean uh keep him appeased. Welcome to the party, pal. All right, here he is your weekly news break. Jonathan McLean. Thank you. Thank you. This is your Royal Barrel News Break for Thursday, September 19th, 1867. I'm Jonathan McLean, State Line, Rochester, New York. The Excelsior Baseball Club of Rochester were told to come out to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laps, as they completed a road swing of games. The Ball Players Chronicle noted that they both played and behaved like gentlemen, thus leaving a most favorable impression on all teams and attendees. On September the 11th, they played the Atlantics in a well-contested game that ended with a 30-13 win for the champions of Brooklyn. The next day, they found themselves locked in a tight battle with the Unions of Morrisania. The previous encounter was a 34-15 win for the Excelsiors, 
but this time it was the Union Club who triumphed by a final score of 29 to 21. For the Rochester squad, Mr. Maloney, the catcher, had a clean home run to deep center, which partially made up for his errors in the field. Mr. Veals answered for the Morrisania team with a clean home run of his own in the fourth, punctuating a 10-run inning that put his team up for good. Mr. Burt's catcher had three foul-bound catches and one catch on strikes to lead his team. On Friday the 13th, ooh, the Excelsiors faced off with the Eckfords, who had just returned from a 4-0 road swing in Philadelphia. The game was back and forth as the Eckford club took an lead into the seventh inning. That's when the Excelsiors showed plenty of that young American spirit by scoring four runs in their half of the seventh and eighth innings and added a pair of the ninth to ensure the other ninth to hang on for a 16 to 12 victory. Mr. Ferguson, the umpire and a member of the Atlantic club credibly acquitted himself in the position. In their fourth game in a row, the Excelsiors challenged the Star Baseball Club of South Brooklyn. Each team started hot as the score stood 8-5 to five after one inning. The Excelsiors punished Mr. Murphy's swift pitching again, seven more runs in the second. That's when he switched from swift to slow pitching, which brought the offensive onslaught to a standstill. In the fifth, it was determined that the game would conclude after the next inning, to allow the Excelsiors to make their train ride home. The Stars took the lead bottom of the fifth, put the Rochesters out one, two, three in their half of the last inning, and through good hitting and four errors, added 15 runs for a final tally of 37 to 17 in favor of the Brooklynites. Today's news break is by the Ocean House Restaurant in Chelsea, Massachusetts. Come for Amos Tarleton's famous hot style, famous home style hot supper. Stay for the singing of We Won't Go Home Until Morning by a bunch of drunk cricket players. <laughs> I'm Jonathan McLean, and this has been your Roller Out the Barrel News Break. Fantastic job as usual. It's the best thing. I say it all the time. It's the best thing we do on the podcast, and I have nothing to do with it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I could listen to those. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought it up because uh, it really adds something to every episode, especially to me. Uh, so, by the way, on our way out, thanks for listening, everybody, as we talked about Halloween. Uh, and, you know, vintage baseball had its, had its day in the Halloween conversations, so it wasn't complete uh, without it. But uh, thanks for listening uh, today. Jeff, I don't. I'm gonna test your age right now. Suzanne Summers passed away today, and mm-hmm, uh, I saw that. Are you familiar with her work on Three's Company? So I just missed it, but Three's Company was my sister's favorite show, and she is six years older than I am. Uh so yeah. The the one thing I know about her is she was the first actress. She basically got kicked off the show for fighting for women to have equal pay mm-hmm. as uh, she saw that her, she thought her character was worth just as much as uh, John Ritter's character. I can't say she was wrong. And, uh, no. and so they went with uh, other actresses. They didn't replace her character, but 
And the show was never the same after that. It was still good, but it wasn't great because it was great. She was good. She was good in that character. And uh, also big news this uh, this week is uh, Moonlighting hit streaming on Hulu. Hulu. Uh, Jeff, are you familiar with the show Moonlighting? Uh, not familiar enough to be able to cite anything from it. I know of it as the name, but I don't know of it as an actual show. Well, that's not a big TV guy. That's where Bruce Willis got his start. The episodes are an hour long. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is not a sitcom. It is about a detective agency that a woman by the name of... Go figure. Sybil Shepard is the other star of this show. And uh, she started losing all of her riches and realized, kind of like in Schitt's Creek, that she owned a detective agency and had to go there and be part of it because it was the only thing that was making her money. So uh, now I think about it, Schitt's Creek is a complete ripoff of Moonlighting. Bruce Willis, <laughs> screwed again. Uh, but check out... The man just gets no respect. All 67 episodes of Moonlighting on Hulu. You won't be disappointed. Uh, and the leader of the gang in Grease 2 makes an appearance in the pilot episode, so you'll be happy about that. Balmudo. And uh, I don't think Jeff will be happy about that. He's probably never seen Grease 2. You ever see Grease 2, Jeff? No, I, I'm... I stopped at Grease 1. They rode off, and that was it. That was all you need. Yeah, you don't, because the better movie comes second. Uh, I'm sure if you go back in the archives, you'll hear me and Rudy agree on that many, many times. Grease 2, the far <laughs> superior product. Not just because you're, you're a Michelle Pfeiffer fan, is it? It's not. I'm not that big of a Michelle Pfeiffer fan. I was in this movie. She's hot. But, no, she hasn't done that many things I think are that great. You know, Maxwell Caulfield was in Empire Records. You know, you know that's a great movie. Uh, <laughs> All right, I'm going to go talk to my wife about Grease 2 being better than Grease 1. Adrian, I'm going to get yelled at the rest of the day. So. Adrian's Med. Come on, Adrian's Med. You remember Tom Hanks' best friend <laughs> in Bachelor Party? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah, Grease 2. Grease 2 for life. Yeah. Do it for your gun. Yeah, Grease, Grease, Grease 2 better than Grease 1, honey. You have to listen to the podcast. I could do a whole episode <laughs> on that. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with a guest and talk more vintage baseball for the last couple of months of the year until uh, until we take our hiatus getting ready for season five. I can't believe it. What the hell are we doing here? Uh, so, uh, Jeff, here in Rudy's spot. Get us out of here. All right, everybody. We we appreciate you listening. We know it's been a, you know, the seasonal depression might be kicking in. You might be scratching and clawing for those last few games. But know that no matter when the season is, no matter when the season comes by, you've always got a little bit of vintage baseball that's always going to be in your ears, in your cars, anywhere that you go. So for the barrel roller, for the Swamp Fox here in spirit, and for the Cougar, we appreciate it. Tonight, we bowl. <laughs>